everyone. I'm Dina McKay, and welcome to Insight Intercom by Black Tech Unplugged. And I'm Dee Reddy. On this week's show, we're partnering with a podcasting peer, Dina McKay, creator and host of Black Tech Unplugged. As we touched on in last week's episode, the unjust killing of George Floyd has prompted many of us to look at our own relationship with perpetuating racial injustice and to look for ways that we can participate in and reinforce racial equity. We have a lot of work to do, but we feel that a small and organic way for us to start is to share the audience we've built for this podcast with voices that need to be heard, but traditionally aren't, particularly in tech. To that end, we're delighted to have Dina co-host today's episode. Dina is the founder and host of the Black Tech Unplugged podcast, which has a mission statement to tell the stories of people of colour working in tech. The podcast was born out of Dina's experience and frustrations as a black woman in the tech scene. So let's hear from her first. I'm Dina McKay. I am the host and creator of a podcast called Black Tech Unplugged. I have been in the tech industry for over five years. So how I kicked off my podcast and it became a real thing. So originally I was working in a position and I just felt kind of stifled in that position. I felt like my creativity was lost. I had low motivation. And one thing that I've always liked to do is have conversations, like real conversations. I'm always big on asking questions and getting to the understanding of what people are thinking and feeling. And so I was thinking, how can I turn my passion into something that would be creative and fun. And I thought, what better way to do that than with podcasting? And so I started interviewing my friends and started creating episodes. And I was like, okay, I'm going to release this to the world so people can learn more about what I do in the industry as well as what my friends do in the industry. And it's really become a way for me to release the real stories and impact of Blacks in tech. Amazing. And you've had some really impressive guests over the last two years that you've been doing it. What has the response been like to the podcast? So every year the podcast is growing and more people are listening. And I hope, especially with the recent events that have been going on, people really start taking a look at Blacks that are in tech and are making impact. And maybe they haven't seen or even heard of before because this is a perfect time for people to learn about new people who are in the tech industry and ways they can support them. So as you say, there's a lot going on at the moment that's causing people to pause and think. And it's it's a really raw conversation for a lot of people right now. So how are you feeling about being in the industry lately? And what are the types of things that you're observing that are making you either feel good or maybe feel bad? So as you mentioned, yes, things are very different and everyone's taking a pause and almost taking a moment to look at their own internal I'll say everyone has biases, so their own unconscious bias and just the way that we're navigating the world. And so right now, things are just really heavy. I mean, even for me, I haven't released a new episode because I don't know what really direction to go. And so things are heavy. And I think, though, this is an eye-opening time. It's a time for us to all reflect on what we've been doing in the past and how we can improve our future It's also a time to recognize what companies and brands are actually a safe haven or even a place that people would want to work in the future. Because with these different statements that are coming out and with these different initiatives that are coming out, 
it's really eye-opening for people who are working in the industry. And it's definitely what I would say so far in my life and my career is a monumental moment for how we move forward. So as you say there, a lot of people are exploring how we can move forward at the moment. So I guess what I'd love to know from you is what would be your advice to people or companies who want to be a good ally, either as an employer or as a colleague and friend? So from a colleague and friend perspective, I say just be open. We recognize that as a Black person working in the tech industry, one, we don't have all of the answers. We can only speak for ourselves. So yes, you can be curious and want to ask questions, but also recognize that as a person who is experiencing this, probably has experienced this a majority of their life, it's a hard time for us as well. So just be cognizant and compassion to that, that maybe certain days we don't want to answer your questions or educate you. And maybe sometimes we just need someone to lean on. From a company perspective, I would say, obviously, we know diversity and inclusion has been a huge topic for years. And it's time to actually start showing, one, the actual diversity numbers and being transparent about that, but also coming up with initiatives and programs to support these diversity and inclusion initiatives. And that could be something as easy as making sure you have a diversity group or ERGs, which are employee resource group within your company, or taking it a step further and making sure that everyone has equal pay and feels like they're actually safe in the environment and making sure that they have resources that they can go to in case anything happens to them from a discriminatory perspective. So there's things that you can do to just get started, but also things that we can do to progress and actually show that you're listening to the people at the company, that you hear us, and then actually showing an action behind it. That's great advice. And then in terms of your own podcast, you've interviewed such a wide range of of impressive people over those two years that we talked about earlier. Who've been the guests that have really stuck out in your mind? I would say I'm going to be biased and say the episode I did with my friends was really good just because, not because they're my friends, but we had an open conversation and we had a mix of people. So some of us were in the tech industry, some of us were tech adjacent, and some are not even in the industry. And just hearing the flow and thought of conversation during that episode was great. Um, Another one that was really amazing that people should listen to is with Charles Kirkendall. He is a tech recruiter and just hearing his perspectives of the journey he went through to even get into the industry as well as tech tips if you're applying for jobs can be really helpful as well. And one more, uh, this is hard to say because there's so many good ones. Another one that I would probably say that would be really helpful, especially during this time, is I had a career coach, Letitia Bird, on the podcast. And she just gave so many tips. And also, I would highly recommend following her on social media because during this time where companies are going to be hiring people of color, And we also had COVID-19, which was really big for many companies and many companies are going to start hiring again. She gives amazing tips and workshops and she is just a wealth of knowledge from a perspective of trying to get hired in the industry, how to get through the interview process and where you want to go in your career. Dina joined us earlier this week to interview Lenise Panton, a startup lawyer and professor at Columbia Law School, about her Colour Lines piece from Firefest to Theranos, the invisible racial subtext of raising capital. 
It's a fascinating conversation, which offers a wealth of insight into some of the more insidious biases at play in the tech ecosystem. So let's hand over the mic and hear from Dina and Lenise. Hi, uh, thank you uh, so much for having me. It's really a pleasure for me to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. As you said, my name is Lenise Panton. I'm a lawyer, a law professor on the faculty of Columbia Law School in New York, where I teach and direct a law school clinic, the Entrepreneurship and Community Development Clinic. The clinic takes on low-income entrepreneurs as clients, and law students enrolled in the clinic have an opportunity to represent these entrepreneurs as they build and they grow their businesses. So I am both a lawyer, a law professor, and I direct legal clinic where I supervise uh, my students on these issues. So students advise clients in sort of your basic startup legal issues, crucial for new and emerging businesses. They help them choose entities. They help them think through employment law issues, trademark and copyright registration and protection They strategize with our clients. They help them with negotiating and drafting and reviewing contracts and agreements. So we kind of do almost everything related to representing a startup business. And we primarily work with low-income entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color. That is amazing. And I have so many questions to ask you, especially being someone who's interested in startups. And I've seen a lot of things that... startup companies, especially for companies who are people of color, have to go through. So to kick off our conversation, an article that you released for the Color Lines op-ed, and it's called From Fry Fest, which we all know about, (laughs) to Theranos, the Invisible Racial Subtext of Raising Capital. So you wrote an academic piece on the wealth gap and racial disparities in the startup ecosystem. So to begin our conversation, I really would love to get your thoughts on what is clearly going on and then also discuss the issue within the tech industry. So in the context of structural inequality, right, a lot of attention is given to how structural inequality manifests itself in the criminal justice context, right? More Black people are stopped, arrested, and involved in the criminal justice system than their white counterparts. And of course, we're seeing this issue being brought into clear focus at this very moment as the world has erupted in protests, right? In the wake of um, the murder of Black people at the hands of police, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, or even private citizens in the case of Ahmaud Arbery. Right. So we see, and we have an understanding collectively, that these issues are the result of ongoing systematic racism and structural inequality that originates in American slavery, right? So that's the premise. Um, So the policing of black and brown bodies is an obvious manifestation of structural inequality, but we don't often discuss how those disparities manifest itself in tech, in the entrepreneurship space, or in the construct of the Silicon Valley culture. So I am arguing in my my work, um, and what I see is that it's also a manifestation, the disparity among black entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs of color, and their white counterparts, the disparity in terms of access to capital, and raising capital, I am also going to argue that that's a manifestation of structural inequality, and it's not something that is discussed or talked about both in the academic or even in the popular context around economic inequality as it relates to the startup ecosystem. And I think that's important to note because often entrepreneurship is listed up as a way out of poverty, as a way to solve for poverty issues or to bring about change in a neighborhood. It's for community development. Entrepreneurship is often the solution for this problem. But I think it's important to discuss how there's structural inequality there so that entrepreneurship is not the slam dunk solution or answer to poverty and community development. 
Right. And I want to dig in a little bit more on your comment. So you're mentioning how entrepreneurship, that's often a route that people of color take because, but there's still that disparity. And in some ways, I even think you describe it as there's, we're almost, we're in this space. And even as black women, we are the highest percentage of women who are starting businesses, not even from a tech perspective, but in general. But we're still, in a sense, invisible, especially when it comes to funding. So I want you to just elaborate on that and what you've seen within your experience, especially from the startup and tech ecosystem. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And and I just want to underscore what I said earlier is that entrepreneurship is often, you know, our politicians love to talk about small businesses and entrepreneurship as a real solution to wealth inequality, a solution to poverty. But wealth inequality and disparities with entrepreneurship is often it leads to is an impediment to success. So while it's a great solution, it also the fact the underlying disparities create issues and problems. And I think as you just to answer your question about invisibility, it's invisible because race is often not discussed in the context of capital raising. And it's a big factor. While we see disparity in labor, employment, home ownership, policing, voting rights, all sorts of structural bias that is not a new thing, but in capital raising, it's rarely discussed. It's invisible because it's in the private market mostly, right? It's in this these bubbles of Silicon Valley and these investors that we just generally don't have access to. And they're bubbles of different sort of sectors of privilege, both in the education sector, right? Like uh, those who have more college education have higher access to investors. Those who are in the Ivy League have higher access to investors. If you attend Stanford, if you attend Harvard, I think the combination of Stanford and Harvard MBAs, they make up 70% of VC-backed companies. So it's invisible because people aren't calling that out and naming it. And so you're, as an entrepreneur, a Black entrepreneur, an entrepreneur of color, you're toiling away trying to figure out why am I not able to tap in and accessing all of the wealth and capital that's available in Silicon Valley? And that's one of those reasons, because we're not talking about where does this money come from and, and who is giving it to who and why, and how do our biases affect where the money goes? And so, and I, I think in my article that you uh, originally sort of mentioned is I sort of talk about Elizabeth Holmes, the disgraced founder of Theranos and Billy McFarland, who we all know who founded the Firefest, And I, I sort of talk about how investors threw money at them based on their potential. And Elizabeth Holmes for 10 years, right? She was able to raise $9 billion. I actually don't have the numbers that Billy McFarland was able to raise, but they were basically funded on potential alone. Their deliverables really never quite existed. The product was never really there, but the benefit of doubt afforded to them both would not be, and is not ever extended to founders of color. So women founders of color make up only 3% of all U.S. backed angel deals and men of color make up 25% of all U.S. backed uh, deals in, in 2016. I should also say 2% of VC funding goes to women CEOs. And then by comparison, black women have really only raised $36,000 uh, on average in an average round. So to think that Elizabeth Holmes, a white woman, Stanford grad with access to the upper echelon of society who are investors, she was able to raise $9 billion and black women founders on average raised 36000 
I think we could, there's under 50 Black women founders that have been able to raise over $1 million. I think in 2017, that number was like 17 Black women-led companies had raised over a million dollars. I think that's changed a little bit, but not much. Yes. I think now we're at least up to 25%, including men and women of color. But again, it's still low. And one thing that I want to touch on that you mentioned is that people were given money based on their potential. Why do you think that when investors look at people of color, men and women of color, they don't see that same potential in us and what we're doing? Well, I, I mean, I think that's a good question and I don't want to get into the minds of investors. I'm not an investor. I actually have never been. But I think when you look at certain studies basically show that it's similar to mentorship, right? I see myself in you. So if I am a successful white man who attended Stanford, I'm going to look, go after other successful white men or Stanford grads or find some connection. And often that has its roots in race or in social status, or in where you went to school. So you as an investor often, I think, and I think this could be unconscious. I don't think it's conscious bias. I think it's unconscious. I I see myself in you. And I think that's a big part of it. I think the alternative too, is that investors also are chasing the founder with the big idea, the Mark Zuckerberg S, the Steve Jobs effect, right? The sole founder that's going to change the world. I think they're also looking at that and that prototype, the white guy with the hoodie. I don't think that entrepreneurs of color necessarily look like a Mark Zuckerberg. And so I, I, I think those two factors, right? They want to see someone where they can see themselves in that person. And I think they're also looking for this prototypical successful entrepreneur. So I think those two things are factors, but I also would love to hear other VCs to to talk about this issue and and hear what they have to say about it as well. Yes, I would too. And I do want to say that because people who are listening may think unconscious bias, you know, right now that's a term that's really being thrown out there. And I just want people to know that everyone has unconscious bias, even if we want to say that we don't. Um, It's just something that It comes from the environment that you grew up, the experiences you've had. We all have unconscious bias. So I want to make sure that people don't take that as a negative term, but realize that everyone has them and it affects our lives in different ways. And also to continue on with our comment around people of color getting money for their tech startups and the startup ecosystem, I want to touch on because we are in the current climate that we are in and Do you think that people are going to start investing in companies more that are led by Black men and women? I'm hopeful. I hope that this is, you know, I think this is a real turning point in all facets of society, right? Where we're really being forced to take a hard look at the way that we do business. And one of the things that I'm seeing is, you know, brands are making statements and people are pressuring brands and people are are pressuring companies to ask them who, who is leading your company, right? You might have at the customer experience level, you might have people of color there, but what about in the higher senior ranks? And so I think there's tremendous pressure on on companies to diversify and to be more transparent about that. And one of the things that I think about and, and talk about is the fact that when we're thinking about entrepreneurship and VCs, it's all in the private market and it's very opaque. It's not really clear who's on what company's board of directors or who runs the VC firm. And it's very difficult to figure out the diversity numbers. But I hope that this moment 
where we are, I think, having a national reckoning about race and privilege and getting, you know, I think we're in a moment where we're asking white people to stop empathizing, right? And to actually do the work to make a change around diversity and structural inequality and white supremacy. And so I am optimistic and I'm hopeful that that will carry over into the startup ecosystem. But I also think that we need to continue to have this conversation and to put pressure and to ask questions of VCs and to call it out. Because as I mentioned earlier, it's invisible because it has not been discussed. The diversity numbers are completely uh, deplorable, particularly in the VC space. Just based on funding, I think the average Black-owned business only gets 3% of what a white, similar white-owned business receives in outside investment. So even, you know, we're funding even similar businesses. There's a disparity in the actual funding that we're receiving. And so I think 86% of venture capitalist firms are white and women and minority-owned firms make up less than 10% of the asset management industry. So studies show, as we talked earlier, that investors are more likely to partner with entrepreneurs that share their gender or their race. Mm -hmm. So VC firms need to diversify their numbers. So I'm hoping that VC firms will certainly invest in founders of color, but I also say that the investment industry needs to diversify itself as well. 3% of VCs are Black and 1% are Latinx. 18%, I think, are, of all VCs are women. So VCs need to take a hard look at themselves and their firms internally. And so that's one piece of it. And then I think the other piece is supporting founders of color as well. And I'm, I'm focusing on VCs, but obviously angel investments, the seed investments, that's also important. I think at the government level, putting funds aside, particularly for entrepreneurs of color, I think that's also going to be important. So I'm hoping that this moment that we're having this like nationwide reckoning is going to result in taking a hard look at the way that not only the structural inequality manifests itself in these these very visible contexts of criminal justice, but also there's ways that it manifests itself in the economic justice context in the startup world. And so I'm very hopeful that entrepreneurs of color will benefit from what's happening across the country. Pre-COVID, entrepreneurship was on the rise, right? Like innovation and entrepreneurship played a big role in the recovery efforts after the recession. And I'm sure that entrepreneurship is going to play a role in the recovery efforts that are going to come after this economic downturn that we're seeing in this pandemic context. And I think Black women in particular are going to have a huge role to play there as businesses owned by women and people of color are on the rise. And we contributed and had an important role in contributing to the economic recovery after the 2008 recession. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that trend is going to continue. I mean, we won't know, but I'm hopeful that, that that's going to be the case. And I'm hopeful as well. And I really have enjoyed the conversation that we've had. And I have two questions just to wrap up our conversation. And it's going to be more advice that you can give. So we obviously know there's a systemic problem with VCs and funding. And so what are your recommendations for the industry as a whole? And let's start with what advice you could give to investors and VCs. Well, I think I think I mentioned earlier that I, you know, I'm not an investor or VC. I've never been one. Um, but I think the diversity numbers are key. I think the fact that it's a private industry is what's hard is because there's no way to regulate it, right? There's no way for people to really look at that. But I think VCs need to take a hard look at themselves and those numbers and decide that diversity and inclusion is a value and make some changes. I would argue that not only should it be a value, but there is an economic argument here as well. 
as minority business ownership is on the rise. And by ignoring those founders and founders of color in their businesses, they're losing out on potential investment. My final question for you, Lanise, is going to be, what advice do you have for people of color who are entrepreneurs and seeking funding? Well, I'm also not an entrepreneur and, I, and, I, and I've actually never been one. Um, so I say that with this caveat in mind. My advice would be to start your business knowing that it will be an incredible uphill battle, quite frankly. Um, understand, though, that you are not uh, crazy. There is an actual disparity and there is an actual uneven playing field in entrepreneurship. And that should be spoken out loud and people should understand that. And so knowing and understanding that that lack of access is not personal. It's not about you. It's not about your business, but it's a systemic issue. And I know that's kind of a small comfort, but I I think it might help to depersonalize it. I would advise to connect with other founders or people of color to get involved, see in your organization and to, you know, follow you guys to see what's going on, what opportunities are coming up for founders of color. Join an accelerator or a co-working space where your business and you will be supported. Also know that there's a small but growing VC community of color and try to tap into that community as well. There are Black female VCs, there are Black female angel investors, there are women of color angel investors in pockets, right, in Boston, in Charlotte, in New York, in these spaces, and trying to tap into those as well. I think, you know, not all businesses will be the next tech unicorns, and that's important to know too. There are enterprises that are important that fuel local economies across the country. I think they have the potential to close the country's wealth gap. But to realize that potential, I think women of color and entrepreneurs of color need to be able to access capital and advisory systems that's going to help them get to the next level. And I think growing a business is transformative for the founder and also for the community where the founder resides. So more women of color more founders of color should have that opportunity and that experience. And I just think generally more investors should fund it. And I hope that they're listening to this conversation and that they understand that and that they value it and they make changes accordingly. We hope you enjoyed our crossover episode with Black Tech Unplugged and our conversation with Lenise Panton. If you did, you can subscribe to Dina's show now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also including some links to previous episodes on our blog post this week, so you can check out some of her favourite conversations there too. We'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Intercom. We hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom.